Coming up next, the powerful results of the grace of God to strengthen us, give us real hope, make us peacemakers, and give us victory to walk as holy children of God. Next on Daily in Christ. And I welcome you once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, and as always, we have a great privilege together to seek God, to discover God, to see the things that the Lord has accomplished already for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are continuing in our extended study of the book of Hebrews. Today, it's part 45. We are once again in Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll begin in just a moment in verse 12. Last time on the Daily in Christ podcast, and the time before the first two parts of Hebrews chapter 12, we were talking about really getting a proper understanding of this chapter keeping in mind the important context of the book of Hebrews at large. Many Christians come into a chapter like this one and other places in the book of Hebrews and reach perfectly wrong conclusions because they completely neglect the important critical context of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I know I say this a lot, but it's so critical to getting a right understanding of the great, incredible, encouraging message that God the Father means to give us as his children, as his rightful heirs. And that powerful message is this. God the Father in love has sent his son, Jesus, as perfect son of God and perfect son of man. He came and lived a perfect life, always obeying the Father perfectly from the heart. He was conceived perfectly, born perfectly. He lived perfectly, grew up perfectly. He obeyed the Father perfectly. He ministered perfectly. He obeyed the law at all times, at all points, not just outwardly, but from the heart, from a perfect heart of love for his Father. And he suffered perfectly. He was sacrificed perfectly. He bled perfectly as the Lamb of God. And he died perfectly. He rose again perfectly and ascended perfectly and is now perfectly reigning at the right hand of God the Father. Can you improve perfect? No. The great message of Hebrews is Christ is all and Christ is has done it all. Praise the Lord. And so our Christian living is living from that place and that space of the perfection of another, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not someone way out there, but someone who is in the believer, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And also uh, because of his finished work, our lives proceed out of his done it's religion that tells us you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, and the lists never end. In fact, the lists just seem to multiply like rabbits. But the good news of the Bible, of God's heart, is the Father accomplished all through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's critical to understanding any point of the book of Hebrews. It certainly is important in Hebrews chapter 12. Frequently Christians have wrong notions about that. I'm not going to get into that right now. 
because we did in the last two episodes. But last time on the Daily in Christ podcast, one of the areas of misconception is in these first 12 verses or 11 verses that speak about God's training of his children. And, and, and sometimes Christians have this notion that God uh, inflicts bad circumstances, diseases, and so forth on us because he's trying to teach us a lesson. Well, if we saw anybody doing that in real life, we'd call them a child abuser. God doesn't do that. The context of Hebrews 12 is coming off of Hebrews chapter 11 that says the just shall live by faith. And over and over again, 17 times, it says by faith or through faith. And so we go in through these circumstances frequently in life, being weak people in and of ourselves so that in their situations beyond our capabilities, so that we learn to rely upon God. And last time, we uh, went into some very important parallel passages over in James chapter 1, and also in First Peter chapter 1. Again, we had a lot of great information in the last episode, so if you missed it, be sure you get it from our dailyinchrist.org website. Well, today, we are going to be uh, at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 through verse 17, and getting there in just a moment. I want to make, I really want to lay something very important down about the subject of testing of our faith. And um, I want to read to you something that I wrote. Um, I believe the Lord guided me in this uh, just a few weeks ago on the subject of the trying of our faith and the role of trials in the in the life of the believer listen to what uh, listen to what i want to share here the subject of suffering frequently comes up in christian teachings many times the speaker will quote a passage like romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 4 now parenthetically i want to pause in this reading and say this is another place in the scripture that talks about uh, difficulty, trials, and suffering. Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 4. It says this, and not only that, but also we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. That's Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 4. Uh, Now, then those who uh, quote that passage, teachers, speakers, pastors, uh, may go on and talk about the value of suffering. Uh, They'll tell us that God is using suffering, hardship, difficulty to improve our character, to refine us, to make us stronger, to make us more Christ-like. Well, they have it completely wrong. First of all, they frequently make the above points by proof-texting scripture that they have plucked completely out of context. And remember what I've always been saying about the subject of context. You have immediate context, the proximate, and the larger contexts of scripture. In the case of the above verses in Romans chapter 5, here is the just the immediate context. So we're in Hebrews, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Verse 1 in this passage is loaded. It's built upon the powerful train of thought from Romans chapter 1 verse 17 that says that the the uh, in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then he, Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through Romans chapter 4, verse 25. That's the proximate context or the nearby context. And that's all, just like Hebrews, about the finished work of Christ and how rebel sinners are saved by Christ through faith. Romans 5 comes on the heels of the development of the essential biblical thought that the just shall live by faith. By looking at the example of Abraham's walk of faith in Romans chapter 5, because of the finished work of Christ, by the grace of God, through faith, now we see Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access, have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, having seen the immediate and proximate contexts of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, which many of these speakers I was telling you about wrench out of context, we can see that those two verses, verses 3 and 4, have nothing to do with what is commonly taught today about God's purpose in suffering. In the immediate and proximate contexts just mentioned, and I could go into much greater depth, just read the context for yourself, we see that what is pointed out in a somewhat implied sense in verses 3 and 4, is the benefit of trials as the trying of our faith and not the trying of our character. This theme is definitely brought out in the larger context of other New Testament passages, namely, and we were looking at these the last time on Daily in Christ, James chapter 1 verses 2 through 8. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 13 and Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 13. In these other places of the scripture, the trying of our faith is explicit. Let's look at the verses in James 1, 2 through 8 as a prime example. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." 
That's the key. What's being tested is not you or your character. God is not using adversity to punish you or to straighten you up or to get you to stop sinning or to make you more Christ-like. God is sovereignly using adversity to try or test your faith. Verse 4. This isn't a testing to see how good you are at walking by faith. God is omniscient and he knows all things. It is a test, a proving, a backing you up in the corner so that you stop relying on yourself and your flesh and get you to really rely upon God. 2 Corinthians 1.8 It is a proving to you what a wonderful gift God gave you when he gave you the gift of faith. And when did that happen? The moment you were born again. That's when it happened. It is an essential principle in the Bible that the just shall live by faith. And again, we talked about that in great depth when we were over in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, but that, that important phrase, the just shall live by faith, is found in four key places in the word Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith. Further, it is impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Why? The rest of Hebrews 11.6 says, quoting, For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice how God-centered Hebrews 11.6 is. And it comes off the Christ-centeredness of the full context of Hebrews. So why faith? Why is it that the just shall live by faith. Well, Romans chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Again, that's Romans chapter 4, verse 16. You see, in back of faith is grace. Underlying the necessity of faith is grace. And grace is the gift of God our Father in totally loving us, totally accepting us, and totally blessing us, not because we are so good and earned it, but because He is that good and gives it. That's what grace is. Now put all the pieces together. It is all of grace because it comes as a gift, unearned and unmerited from our loving Heavenly Father through Christ by faith. Trials, testings, adversities, needs, even temptations try and test our faith. Look at it as an opportunity for us to quit relying on self and quietly rely upon God. Difficulties force us beyond ourselves into a place of depending upon God who gives all by grace through faith in Christ. That's the whole point of the testing of our faith. 
And that's what the Holy Spirit brings out so brilliantly through James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Here it is again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Again, that's James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Now, having given the full context of the trials passages in Romans 5, Hebrews 12, James 1, and 1 Peter 1, how often do you hear today's speakers mention anything about the testing of our faith and its incredible results when it comes to trials, testings, difficulties, even temptations? You hardly hear a peep about it. Their messages essentially are that such things, difficulties, trials, etc., will make us, quote, more Christ-like. Wrong, wrong, wrong. God is the creator. It is God who makes us more Christ-like. Not you, not your flesh, not trials, not circumstances, not difficulties. Did you get it? God is the one who makes us more Christ-like and nothing and no one else. And God unfailingly does so through our union with Christ. Christ is in the believer and we are in him. The trying of our faith trains us to rely upon Christ within and not ourselves, living as stranded orphans. I think I'm going to post that up on our website, dailyinchrist.org. It's called The Trying of Our Faith and Trials, uh, something the Lord gave me just a few weeks ago, and I think it's it brings up this critical point that we have to get. And I think if you see it, you're probably either going, wow, that's good, or you're mad at me because it just violates everything you've been hearing. Well, you know what? Some of us need to let the Bible get in the way of what we believe. That's what repentance is, when we change our thinking to what God has and what God, God's way, God's truth, God's thinking on the thing. As it says over in Isaiah, God's ways are so far beyond our ways. And just because our pastor told us, just because our neighbor told us, just because that brother in Christ or sister in Christ that we really look up to told us does not make it so. You know, just because I say it does not make it so. What does the word say? Remember, folks, context, context, context. And of all the places in the Bible where it's critical to keep that in mind, it's the book of Hebrews. You know what? I held that viewpoint that trials were used by God to make us more Christ-like. And then as I examined the full context of Hebrews, I'm like, ay, yeah, that's embarrassing. I, I can't believe I actually held to that doctrine, which is unbiblical. I must move on. Let's move on to our text. So all of that to drive home the critical point that just shall live by faith, that faith is necessary because it is of grace. And that is what Hebrews is all about. 
Grace is Christ himself. Grace is all that he accomplished, done, finished at the cross through a perfect life for you and for me. Now we got to get over to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. And as we do, let's humbly go to the Lord of the word in prayer to understand the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that your heart is so amazing. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of peace. Shalom. It's a heart of righteousness. It's a heart that makes the way when there is no other way through the one who is identified as the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, as it says, Father, in 1 John chapter 3. We are children, and because we're children, as it says in Romans 8, we are heirs indeed, we are joint heirs with Christ. Now, Father, as we get into this passage of Scripture in uh Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, grant unto us, Father, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. We thank you, Lord. The effect of that happening in our lives is our understanding is enlightened. We begin to see it. The great hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe, like the working of your mighty strength, which you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead, seating him above all principality and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, folks, let's dig in. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Hope you have your Bible. If you're driving, don't get your Bible out. Keep focusing on the on the road. But it is good to have your Bible handy and to be able to look at this with me. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, and what's the therefore, therefore? Man, everything in Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 12, verse 11. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. That's our passage. I'm not sure how far we're going to get in that today, but uh, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 12 through verse 17. At the very beginning, uh, beginning in verse 12, it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. This is a picture of a discouraged person, and specifically here in Hebrews addressing the discouraged Christian who is, and all of us can relate to this, asking in the midst of difficulty and trial, why am I going through this? 
or like Paul over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he said, Lord, please, I'm begging you, remove this awful thorn in my flesh. Remember, please, this context once again in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. We were talking about it the last two episodes. Remember that God is your father and he is treating you as sons. Remember that when the Bible says sons, it isn't referring to gender, you know, male, female, but it refers to those who are rightful heirs, as it says in Romans 8, 17, joint heirs with Christ. And we are going through the child training of the trying of our faith. And we just made the point through the first 15 or so, 15, 20 minutes of this particular podcast, that that is a good thing. It's a really good thing for us to have the trying of our faith. Why? So that we rest and rely upon grace, Romans 4, 16. We're being trained to look beyond ourselves and rely upon God. And we are being trained to walk by faith, not by sight. We are being trained to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. See, we have a loving heavenly father who cares for his kids, as opposed to orphans who don't have a father or mother, and they are, they're abandoned, and so they must scrap and struggle just to survive on their own. And so this picture of a discouraged person with the hands that hang down and the feeble knees, it's showing weakness, Right at the very beginning, it says, therefore, strengthen. Now, these are not empty words of false hope. You remember that 80s song, that silly little ditty that said, don't worry, be happy. You know, it was a popular song for a little while. Most of us don't remember it, and that's good, because that little song had no basis of hope. It just said, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) But you see, The therefore at the beginning of verse 12 is therefore because it's not based upon the worldly promises that people break all the time. It's not based on our failure and unworthiness, but it's based on what verses 3 through 11 is all about, that we have a loving heavenly father who is teaching us and training us even through difficulty to rest and rely upon him who is the loving father, loving provider, loving protector. It's all based upon the just shall live by faith. And that is based, the just shall live by faith, upon grace, which is what all of Hebrews is all about. The perfection of Jesus as son, high priest, and savior, and the perfection of his finished work. That's the basis of the therefore at the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, this particular imagery harkens back to Isaiah chapter 35, which says this, strengthen the hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those, this is verse four, who are fearful hearted, 
Be strong and do not fear. Here's the reason. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Wow, did you hear that? He will come and save you. That's in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4. That's where these words in Hebrews chapter 12 come from. And really, um, the context of Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4, all of Isaiah is some of the most powerful prophetic scripture about the coming Messiah. Isaiah is the prophet with the most messianic prophecies. And through the Spirit, Isaiah foretold of Jesus and his perfect finished work. Hands are the symbol of strength. Um, And uh, then feeble knees literally means paralyzed knees. Have you ever been through a situation in life where one thing after another is happening, you're overwhelmed and you feel paralyzed? You may even feel like, you know what, I think I'm just going to stay in bed today. I'm going to just lay here and hide. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and listen, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you get it? There's this admonition of the scripture over and over and over again that says, you can get up, you can get going. Gird the loins of your mind. You know, the um, soldiers of old would do that. They would gird up these uh, flowing garments that they had back then so that they could move with rapidity. They could move quickly. They could run and be agile like a soldier needs to be. Gird up the loins of your minds. Tighten up your thinking. Focus on the goodness of God. Focus upon the perfection of Jesus, not your imperfections or the imperfections of others. Focus upon the perfection of his finished work, not the imperfections of you. Focus on the power of God. Focus on his grace. Focus on his goodness. Given, given as a gift freely to you through Christ. And we can see that the idea in Isaiah 35 verse 3 talks about strengthening the hands that hang down and making firm the feeble knees. It's all about that full messianic, that the truth of the Messiah, the Savior, and that's the emphasis of all of Isaiah. And over in Hebrews, we see the fulfillment of all of that in the person, the perfection of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the perfection of his finished work. We get up from our misery and we walk in victory because, because, because of what Christ has accomplished for us. We don't just get up and go just for ourselves. You know, it's not just, I love the way God works, right? Not only a benefit to our own lives, but so that we can be of some good to the world. As we learn to walk by faith, resting in the grace of God because of the perfection of Jesus and the perfection of his finished work, not only is our life experience improved incredibly, but we're finally able to be of some good and help to others in the world. Many people need encouragement. We're not the only one that struggle at times with discouragement. 
And uh, I, I've never felt that it's been God's will for us just to struggle until the day we die, feeling sorry for ourselves and paralyzed with fear. You see, look at what it says here in these other verses, uh, beginning in verse 14, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, pursue peace with all people. Now, that's interesting. It says, pursue, go after peace with all people. Now, we in America, our concept of peace is a very shallow, uh, weak concept compared to the Hebrew the Hebrew mindset, the Jewish mindset, the biblical mindset rooted in the Old Testament about peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. And the idea of shalom isn't just a sense of well-being, but it's a sense of, of it is well, all is well. And it's based upon the one who identifies himself as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. You see, because of God being Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. We have also the one known as the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can pursue Shalom with others. In conflict, we find ourselves as the peacemaker, a real peacemaker. Instead of being involved with gossiping and backbiting, we tell the good word. We encourage others. We edify. We build up. And we're known not as a complainer, but as a solution finder. That's what the grace of God does in our lives. Not only to lift us out of our own discouragement and our own funk, if you will, but also to bring encouragement and to strengthen and build up others. Pursue peace with all people. And it also says to pursue and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness. Remember, please, context again. Is the book of Hebrews about your holiness? No, it is not. It is about the holiness of God. This is speaking of the Lord's holiness in your life, not your own self-righteous holiness. The Lord is our holiness. Exodus chapter 31, verse 13 uh, that is the uh, Hebrew name Jehovah Mekedesh. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says that Christ has been made unto us holiness or sanctification from God. And believe it or not, it's true in the word. And again, religion has really messed this one up. We have been 100% sanctified because Christ himself is our sanctification, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And if that's giving you a nervous twitch, if you're like, oh, oh, no, wait a minute, Mark. I have a whole series of teachings, and it's on the dailyinchrist.org website called Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. It's a six-part series. I highly recommend it. I go into dozens of scriptures about the reality that the Christian, the moment they're born again, is 100% sanctified because sanctification is not a crisis. It's not a process. Sanctification is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians one thirty. So what it refers to here when it says to pursue holiness, it means that we, this is an active walk in holiness, not to become holy, but this speaks to the manner 
of our walk in lifestyle, living and walking in an ungodly and unholy world as who we are, holy people. And then it says, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, this is proof that the holiness here referred to is not your own holiness. It is God's holiness. And then remember what it said over there in Isaiah chapter 6. It said, the prophet saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he heard, holy, holy, holy. What was the reaction of the prophet? Woe is me, I am undone. In other words, woe is me literally means I am fit to be cursed. Nothing about this phrase here to pursue holiness is about you pursuing your so-called holiness, which would violate all of the Christ-centeredness of Hebrews and let alone the idea and concept of holiness throughout the scripture. It is the Lord who sanctifies us. Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. The Lord, our holiness. In Isaiah 35, verses 8 through 10, it says, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up to it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and fleeing shall flee. I'm sorry, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's in Isaiah 35, verses 8 through 10. This is key to understand that everything of the finished work of Christ, walking in uh, uh, by the Lord in his grace, by faith, is the key to holiness in our life. Why? Because the Holy One is living inside of us. It's faith in the Holy One. Christ has been made unto us, holiness from God. And so walking according to that. And then it says, uh, and I'm beginning to run out of time, so I'm not too sure how far I can get into this. Verses 15 through 17 says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, folks, this is not about losing the grace of God. It's impossible because grace is the gift of of God. It wasn't based upon your performance in the first place, but upon God's goodness. And falling short, the idea here is missing out on the grace of God in our daily walk and our daily experience. Grace underlies all of our Christian life. It makes it all possible. And remember, again, I'll say it again, I said this earlier, what grace really is. Grace is the gift of of love from God our Father in totally loving us, totally accepting us, and totally blessing us, not because we are so good and earned it, but because he is that good and gives it. That's what the grace of God is. And then look at what happens in our life experience when we live without relying and resting upon the grace of God. Sort of the negative side of this thing Remember what it says there in verse 15, looking carefully lest anyone fall short 
of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So one of the things that happens when we lose track or lose sight of the grace of God and and resting and relying upon the grace of God is that we can end up with a root of bitterness springing up. And that not only messes up our lives, but it messes the lives of others as well. It says there in verse 15, causing trouble and by this many become defiled. You know, I think at the heart of gossip is bitterness. Someone is bitter about something and they're trying to defend themselves. I know of a lady uh, in my life experience, uh, someone in an employment situation, and she is a constant gossip. And it's like she's spewing this venom, this poison all over. I don't even like to be in the same room when someone is doing that. That's what bitterness does. You know, someone has said that bitterness is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. It is toxic stuff. And yet bitterness, a root of bitterness, and and a root is not something we see, right? A root is something that's below the surface. When we aren't resting and relying upon the grace of God in our daily life experience, then this root of bitterness begins to take hold and it can spring up, causing all kinds of difficulty, all kinds of defilement, not only for ourselves, but also for others. And then look at another uh, negative thing that happens when we lose sight of the grace of God and we don't rely and rest upon that beautiful, perfect grace of God. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, like, it says, um, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. That's in Hebrews 12, verses um, 16 and 17. You see, Esau... And just like Esau, when we lose track of the grace of God, we don't rest and rely upon the grace of God. We can end up acting out of our flesh, walking carnally, walking by the flesh and not by the Spirit, as Romans chapter 8 brings up over and over again. Uh, And this causes us to miss out on the victory and the abundant life that are rightfully ours as sons of God. Many Christians struggle in their Christian experience because they have little idea about the grace of God manifested through the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ in his perfect finished work on their behalf, which brings us into all the blessing and goodness of God for our lives. When we lose track of that, we begin to act not as those walking by the flesh, but as those walking, I'm sorry, not as those walking by the Spirit, but we begin acting as those who are walking by the flesh, by our human understanding, human perception, human ability. That's called carnality. And we do indeed miss out on the victory and abundant life that are rightfully ours as the sons of God. And you see what happened to Esau. Esau had a birthright, man. He had something awesome. 
But, you know, his tummy got to growling and he got pretty desperate for a meal and he sold off, he pawned off his birthright, for goodness sake, for one more soul of food, as it says here in the scripture. And, you know, later on, when he kind of came to a sense as he was pleading for it, it was too late. The blessing had already been bestowed. It couldn't be revoked. It couldn't be transferred back to Esau. How does that happen? Is it because Esau is such a terrible person? No, Esau did not walk by faith. He walked by the flesh. He walked by sight. He was a stranger to the grace of God. Now we can be like Esau if we lose track of the grace of God, lose sight of it. And, you know, we have got to refresh our minds, renew our minds every single day to the truth of the goodness and grace of God. Now, here's on the positive side what happens in the life of one who relies upon the grace of God. Romans 5.17 says this, For if by the one man's offense, that's speaking of Adam and his great failure, death reigned through the one much more, much more, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. That's in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I have some people every once in a while says, Mark, you emphasize the grace of God too much. Well, first of all, I don't emphasize it too much. God emphasizes it a lot, not too much because God knows what he's doing. My experience is that the vast majority of Christians have little to no idea what the biblical reality of grace is. And that's our big problem. Uh, and, 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 And so people need to be exposed to the abundance of grace. It says much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift, that gift is the grace of God, the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Did you hear that? Reign in life. Not living defeated, not living discouraged, not living being towed under by temptation and sin. No, reigning in life. Yes, reigning in righteousness through by means of the one, Jesus Christ. Do you see what incredible difference the grace of God makes in our lives? It's awesome, as we have been seeing in these verses 12 through 17. It's powerful. The grace of God strengthens us when we're discouraged. The grace of God gives us real hope. The grace of God works in our lives not to be agitators, gossipers, or bitter people, but peacemakers. It gives us victory to walk by the Spirit, to walk as holy children of God. That's what the grace of God can do. And that's a powerful thing. And that theme comes up over and over and over and over again. Remember, dear friend, that it's all of grace. It's based upon the Father's heart of love and giving. We don't deserve it. We don't get the good from God because we did this right and did this right and did this right. 
Nobody could do that except for one person, and that person is the perfect Son of God and perfect Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the basis of Him and His perfections and His perfect finished work. We have received all. That's what the grace of God is. It's being brought into the place of blessing based upon the goodness of God not based upon the goodness of you or me. Praise God for that awesome grace given so freely through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the wonderful grace of God, for this tremendous gift that comes from your Father heart of love in totally loving us, totally accepting us and totally blessing us, not because we are so good and earned it, but because you are that good and you've given it. You have done it, Father, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you will take the truths that have been brought out today in this particular lesson, and Father, you will continue to bring deep illumination and understanding, turn the light on, of the revealing work of your Holy Spirit, that we may see you more clearly, that we would walk in victory for your glory and your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.